Michael Plant, in 1992, set out to see nobody was worried. Nobody was bothered at all. He was going on a solo Atlantic crossing from America across to Europe. He'd done it many, many times before. Nobody was worried. Why? Because he was experienced. He'd been out on the hazardous seas many, many times. He's got expertise because he crafted his finely honed skills out there in the big wide ocean. And he'd got equipment. He had got a state-of-the-art boat. His boat, the Coyote, was state-of-the-art. It had everything you could imagine. It even had a, a radio that if he was got distressed out on his own in the sea, it would send a, a, a message, a, a distress message to a satellite. Nobody was worried at all. So what went wrong 11 days into the sea, into the trip? It puzzled everyone. Radio contact was lost, but nobody panicked because Michael Plant had got it all together. But then the coyote was sighted floating upside down and the body of Michael Plant has never been discovered. When the boat was examined, they discovered that there was nothing wrong with the equipment above the waterline. The problem was below the waterline. You see, sailboats are designed in such a way that they have what's called a ballast weight. And if the ballast weight is, is, is connected properly to the keel, then it's designed in such a way that no amount of storm will capsize the boat. The problem was with Michael Plant, he put so much time, effort and energy into what you see above the waterline that he'd failed to pay attention to what you see below the waterline. And it was that that caused him to get lost at sea. It was that that capsized his boat. You see, it doesn't matter what is seen, it's what is unseen that can capsize your boat. That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, I think we live in a, in a world that... Uh, totally focuses above the waterline. The stuff that you can see is all that seems important in our world these days. I mean, do you agree with me? And it's all about what you see. And so a lot of our TV programs are all about what you see. And you have an embarrassing body, then we can do something about it. You have a tattoo that everyone can see. We can fix it. We can change everything that you can see. And all of our focus and attention and energy is all above the waterline. You know, if we're going to stay true north in our lives, we've got to look a little deeper than just what we can see above the waterline. Last week, we looked at how you stay true north uh, when you have no map and the sat-nav has died. And we looked at a character from Hebrews 11 called Abraham, who the Bible says set out not knowing where he was going. But he had this compass that kept him true north and his compass was faith. And we, you and I, can have that compass as well, that compass of faith where we trust in God, even where, though we might not have a map and the sat-nav has died, we can follow God and we can know what it is to be true north. But this week, we want to ask this question, how do we, and I'm mixing my metaphors here, okay, so just forgive me on that one for all of you English people that might get a little bit twitchy about mixed metaphors and whatever. How do we prevent the boat of our life capsizing when the storm comes? How do we prevent ourselves, like Michael Plant, getting lost at sea? When you have the expertise and you have the experience and you have the equipment, but you don't pay attention to what's beneath the waterline. Well, this requires we pay attention and we work with this second kind of compass or navigational tool. And this one is called character. You see, it's your character that can capsize you. It won't be your expertise necessarily. 
It won't be your experience necessarily. It won't be the equipment, the stuff that people see above the waterline that capsizes you. What will capsize you? What will prevent you from staying true north? What will cause you to get lost at sea will always be beneath the waterline and that's where your character is. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. You see, no sailor sets out to capsize at sea, do they? They don't do that. Michael Plant didn't do that. But you see, no marriage, no couple walk down the aisle thinking that they're going to get divorced. No person sets out on life thinking that they're going to make so many bad decisions, that they're going to give in to so many addictions, that they're going to wreck their life and their family. Nobody does it. But it happens. And it happens because we don't pay attention to the stuff and the issues that are beneath the waterline. We don't pay enough attention in investing in our character. But you see, nobody makes stupid decisions, do they? None of you have ever made any stupid decisions, have you? Have you? Yes, you have is the right answer, of course. And I was reading this really funny thing that came around the social media world about stupid decisions that burglars have made and that thieves have made. And so there are some law enforcement people in the building, so you'll find this amusing as well, hopefully. But here's just a few of them. And of course, nobody, none of us would make decisions uh, that are stupid. But here's a few ridiculous decisions that burglars and thieves made. So the retired couple from Lancashire returned uh, from holiday in 2014 to find find the burglar asleep in their bed. (laughs) He had done the dishes, washed his underwear and brought in a few groceries. Wow. Mrs. Dyson said, who who was the woman who he was robbing the house, the house wasn't too tidy when she went away, but the burglar has kindly tidied it up. And then she says this, he did burn a saucepan, but hey, that happens. Okay, <laughs> and then there's another one, a hapless couple, uh, or hapless hold-up rather, of a newsagent in Abingdon, Oxfordshire, was captured on CCTV in 2012. During the attempted heist, James Allen removed his balaclava, fell over the drinks display, and then couldn't open the door to escape because he was pushing instead of pulling. And the woman he held up with a toy gun had to help him open the door so he could escape. <laughs> And then the third one, suspected car thief in South Africa was foiled when the auto-lock system of this car that he'd broken into trapped him inside. The man was stuck for an hour and a half shouting for help while all the passers-by pointed at him and laughed. Nobody would ever be that stupid. None of us would ever make stupid decisions that would capsize our life, would we? Let me tell you, I have sat with way too many people to know that that's not true. I've sat with way too many marriages, with way too many people who said, I do not know how I ended up in this mess. I do not know how my life has ended up so out of control. How have I lost my wife and my family and my business and my self-respect and my dignity? How has it happened? It happened because you didn't pay attention to the under the waterline issues. You didn't invest in your character. And we will never stay true north if we don't invest in our character. And so to help us with this, we're going to look at another character, another story from Hebrews chapter 11. And last week we looked at Abraham and I'm going to pick it up from Hebrews 11 verse 20. And it follows with Abraham's kind of son and then we'll just read that. So it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leant on the top of his staff. And here's the verse. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and he gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. 
Now, in Hebrews 11, we only hear one verse about this character, Joseph, but we're going to look at Joseph. Because Joseph shows us what it's like for a man or a woman to live a life of integrity, to live by the compass of character, to, to live in such a way that even though he faced more in his life than you and I will ever face, ever face, and some of you have been and are going through some really tough stuff, he faced more than we will ever face, and yet he maintained true north because he invested into the compass of character. Now, what is character? Dictionary defines character as mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Abraham Lincoln said, Character is like a tree and reputation is its shadow. The shadow is what we think of it, but the tree is the real thing. Character is what you are when no one's looking. Hello? Character is what you are when nobody is looking. Because character is not above the waterline, it's beneath it. But it will be the thing that will cause you to capsize and get lost at sea if you don't pay attention to it. Because it's your character that can capsize you. So before we talk about Joseph, I want to say a few things about character. Number one, your character is your gift to God. If you're a Christian this morning, and I know that not all of you would say that you are, you know, one of the things, aren't you so grateful to God? Anyone? And when we sing songs about that, Jesus, what you've done, you know that you didn't, oh, I love that one line in the song. It's the first time I've sung that song. You know, it says, you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. What an amazing line. And we want to think about how do we say thank you to God? Your character is your gift back to God. You will never, ever repay God for what he's done for you. But your character is one of your gifts back to God. Now, have you ever wished that you could change just one thing about the person next to you? Have you ever wished that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A few little looks there. Now, have you ever wished you could change one thing about yourself? Anyone ever wish they could do that? And so, um, uh, you know, and, and sometimes when you think about that, you almost start fantasizing or imagining a little bit about what you could be. And a, a few months ago, I did one of these online Facebook uh, tests. You've all done it. Saddos, you've all done it. You just don't want to admit it in public. Um, well, some of you do because you splash it all over the place. Uh, <laughs> but, but I did one of these things about what kind of sci-fi fantasy figure would you be? And so you answer all the questions and then it, and, and it doesn't know whether you're male or female. And so apparently the one I am most likely to be is this one. And I don't even... <laughs> which is a little bit degrading and a little bit embarrassing. I don't even like Star Wars, and I know that's a sin for some of you and a crime, all right? But I don't even get it. But apparently, but, but your gift to God is not whether you become Princess Leia or some other imaginary sci-fi fantasy figure. Your gift to God is becoming the best version of you that you can be, is actually Jesus forming himself in you. That's what the Bible says. Paul says, I pray earnestly that Christ is formed in you. In such a way that you become the best version of yourself. Dallas Willard, who's a Christian writer, he said, Christ-likeness is humanity as God always intended it. It's not super saint to be like Jesus. It's as, human, it's, it's as God always intended it. To be like Jesus is humanity as God always intended it. Your character is your gift to God. But secondly, your character is what will make the biggest impact on the world. Over the long haul, over the long term, it's your character that will make the biggest impact on the world. I love this old reading by a guy called Charles Swindle. Some of you will have heard it. Uh, and I think we need this now more than we've ever needed it. And listen to this. The world needs people who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who possess opinions and a will, who are larger than their vocations, who will not lose their individuality in a crowd 
who will be as honest in the small things as they are in the great things, who will make no compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires, who will not say they do it because everybody else does it, but who are true to their friends through good report and bad, in adversity as well as in prosperity, who do not believe that shrewdness, cunning and hard-headedness are the best qualities for winning success, who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth when it is unpopular, who can say no with emphasis, although the rest of the world says yes. Don't we need people like that? Don't we? That's character. That's character. Number three, your character is what will keep you true north and prevent you from being capsized. You know, at 11.40 p.m. Um, on uh, April the 14th in 1912, when the Titanic hit the iceberg, nobody above the waterline batted an eyelid. The band carried on playing. The people carried on dancing. The crew carried on crewing and doing what they do. Nobody batted an eyelid because they were so arrogant and they were so self-confident because they were on the ship that couldn't be sunk. But underneath the waterline, six narrow slots had appeared uh, in the hull and water was cascading in and coming in at an alarming level. But on the surface, everything looked exactly the same. They, they played music while it went down. Nobody ran to the lifeboats. Why? Because they thought they were safe. They didn't pay attention to what was beneath the waterline. You see, the appearance of safety was mistaken for safety itself. And I want, I want you to hear this, guys, with all of my heart and passion. Do not mistake the appearance of safety in your life or your marriage for safety itself. Any single one of us can be capsized at sea. Any one of us. Doesn't matter how experienced you are. Doesn't matter how much expertise you are. Doesn't matter how great it looks above the surface. If there's something wrong underneath the water, we all run the risk of being capsized when the storm comes. And the fourth thing about character, and this is just the introduction, your character is not formed, developed, or shaped easily or quickly. And again, that's really countercultural message. If you want to have a good character, if you want to have a character that will get you through storms, it isn't going to come easily or quickly. And so we're going to look at how um, the character of Joseph was shaped and developed in three key areas of his life. And at the end of this, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to this because there may be one of these areas where you're under pressure right now and you're being maybe tempted to pull away from some of your deepest values because of these, one of these three areas of life. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to God, to say, God, I don't want to do that. God, I want to anchor myself. I want to be true north in my life. So the first one is this. Character is tested and formed by how we handle adversity. And adversity simply means tough times, difficulty, suffering, you know, painful times. Helen Keller, that famous uh, American who was blind uh, uh, and deaf, she said, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the spirit be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Because I want it all and I want it now doesn't work. You know that, the Queen song. I want it all and I want it now. That's our cultural kind of statement. It doesn't work. If you want character, it doesn't come now and it doesn't come quickly or easily. And Joseph knew this the hard way. So we pick up the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. And um, Je Joseph was far from perfect. If you know the story, maybe you know the Joseph in the technical dream coat, the musical. He was far from perfect. He was a little arrogant. He was a little insensitive. He was favored by his father. 
um, but unblessed by God. And God gave him this dream. And in the dream, he had different dreams. But basically, the, the, dream, the dreams meant, um, or, or he interpreted them as such, and they did mean this, that one day he would rise to, to preeminence or prominence, and his brothers would all bow down and worship him. And so what he did as a 17-year-old is he went and told his brothers, God has said to me that one day I'm going to be over you, and you're all going to bow down and worship me. How do you think that went? How would that have gone in your family when you were growing up if you'd have done that or you'd have had that done to you? It didn't go well. And so what they did is that not only rejected him, but they beat him, they stripped him, they left him for dead. And then finally they sold him into slavery in Egypt. That's tough. That's tough, isn't it? Not only that, that when he gets to slavery in Egypt, he ends up in the house of Potiphar as a slave, uh, as a servant, but he's doing really well. But then he's falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit. And so he ends up in prison. But then in prison, he does really well and he helps this guy out. And the guy promises that when he's released, he'll remember him, but he doesn't. He forgets him. And so he stays in prison for another two years. He's not going well, is it? And yet throughout all of that, as God worked and developed on all that adversity, he developed character. How do you respond when life gets tough? How do you respond when life gets tough? How do you respond when you enter into a storm? How do you respond when, when, when you're rejected or when, or when something unexpected happens or when you are in a place through no fault of your own? How do you respond? Some people, they crumble. Some people, they despair. Some people, they get hard or they get bitter. Some people, if they're Christians, they doubt. And eventually, some people quit on their faith. But some people seem to get stronger, don't they? Have you noticed that? Some people, when they go through a tough time, seem to come out stronger. Why? Because of character. And I think if you're going through a tough time like this, let, let me say to you, you know, there's a great verse in the Psalms where David says, oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I'd fly away. Anyone ever felt like that? Just let me, get me out, beam me up, Scotty, we might say if you were old, old like me and remember that. Um, but actually, that thing about when can I get out of this, could, character says, no, 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 I'm not going to pray when could I get out of this. I'm going to pray what could I get out of this. And if you want to grow in character and invest underneath the, the waterline, then what we need, guys, we need to add resilience into our lives. And the word that's used a lot these days in our culture is grit. It's a great word, resilience or grit. And you hear it a lot in leadership circles these days about developing resilience and developing grit. You see, potential is one thing. We talk a lot in our culture about potential and talent and strengths. And that's all great. But none of that is as important as resilience or grit. Because people with less potential, less talent, less strength will get on further in life if they've got resilience and grit. And if we want to be people who have a character that withstands the storms of life, that grows stronger through tough times, not weaker, we've got to add resilience and grit into our lives. I think we give up way too easily in this culture. We give up way too easily on things in our lives. We give up way too easily on our marriage. We give up way too easily on our jobs. You know, often you can speak to people, and I do a lot of reading and research around this, around, around millennial generation, and not just millennials, but all of us now in our culture. And often people, you can hear people say, oh, you know, my job is just not doing it for me now, and, and, and I need to quit. Now, how long have you been doing it? Oh, I've been there for five weeks. Seriously. Seriously, because that's our culture and that's our expectation on our need for success and our need to feel good and our need to feel that everything's okay and that I'm happy and that I'm content. Come on, we need to grow up. 
We need to grow up and we need to add some resilience and some grit into our lives if we are going to develop character. John Ortberg, one of the favorite authors of mine, over time, grit is what separates fruitful lives from aimlessness. If we don't add grit into our lives, guys, we end up aimlessly wandering one job to the next, one marriage to the next, one church to the next, one idea to the next. We've got to add grit and resilience. Gift, uh, grit and growth go hand in hand. Grit and growth go hand in hand. You know, if you're doing something right now, I want to say, don't quit too easily. Now, yes, there's a time to quit and there's a time to stop and there's a time to move on. I get that. But don't quit too easily because grit and growth go hand in hand. And if we want to invest in our character, we've got to add grit and resilience into our lives. So that's the first area. But the second area is the one I want to spend the most time on. Because character for Joseph and for us is tested and formed by how we handle temptation. By how we handle temptation. Now, temptation that we're going to look at, the one we're going to look at in Joseph's life, appears that it's just sexual temptation. Okay? But I think it represents all forms of temptation that pull us away from our deepest values. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to look quite a bit in the Bible this morning. Genesis 39, it will come up on the screen. If you want to follow it, then you can if you've got your own version. Some of you have even got one with paper in it, which is amazing. Genesis 39, 6 to 7. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What a really tough life that guy had. Now Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said come to bed with me. Now pause it there. If you were Joseph or I was Joseph maybe what could go through my mind is this. Why not? All I did was I told my brothers what I felt God say to me. I ended up beaten and stripped and left in a pit. I ended up being sold into slavery. Do you know what I mean? Here I am a slave in Egypt. Why not? I deserve it. Nobody will know anyway. And that's some of the thought process that goes through our mind, isn't it? Maybe when we're coming through adversity, then temptation seems to come right behind it anyway, doesn't it? And it's tough at work, so why not? You deserve it anyway. Because you've worked really hard. And yet you know it's something that's pulling you away from your deepest values. But why not? Who will know the difference? Carry on. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. This is integrity, guys. This is integrity. How then could I do such a wicked thing? And listen, this now is character. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not just against your husband or you, How could I sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, this wasn't just once, this was day after day. He refused to go to bed with her, good, listen, this is character, or even to be with her. So that's massive. When it comes to temptation, that's massive. Joseph is saying to do this, even though I might say to myself, or a voice might say, I deserve it, And nobody else will know. To do this would be not only to sin against you and your husband, but ultimately to sin against God. And my character is more important to me than that little bit of temporary pleasure. This is amazing, isn't it? And he's saying, I'm not not only am I not going to go to bed with you, but I'm not even going to be with you. And that's really important. We'll come on to that later. But then it goes on. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. So now all of a sudden, he's much more vulnerable. 
She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. She's a persistent woman, this one. <laughs> but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. Then verse 19, when his master heard the story, his wife, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, let me just talk about this for a moment. Joseph had character and integrity. And within Joseph also, there was a conscience. And I want to talk to you about conscience for a bit. So we don't talk about conscience much these days. Conscience is defined as a person's moral sense of right and wrong. It acts as a guide to their behavior. But let me, from the Bible, give you a little bit of clarity around the word conscience. Because I think this is one of the words and the issues which is causing many Christians difficulties in our modern age. Okay, It probably has all through history, but it certainly is now. You see, the Bible teaches that you can have a weak conscience. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9, but you must be careful so that your freedom, Paul says, does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. You can also have a wounded conscience, because then it goes on to say, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. So you can have a weak conscience, but then something can happen and you can have a wounded conscience. You can also have a dead conscience in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. So you're going to have a dead conscience. You're going to have a corrupt conscience in Titus 1.15. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. You see, just because you have a conscience doesn't mean to say that that is true north. Anyone listening to me? So just because you have a conscience and you think this feels right to me doesn't mean that it is. And this is one of the problems that we have. And this is one of the problems I have. Because there's been many times when I have done something according to what I feel my conscience is telling me. And it ain't true north. And many, I've had people sit in front of me and say, but, I, but this is right because it feels right. And because, because I love her. And because I love him. And because, I, and because this feels right. But just because it feels right doesn't mean that it necessarily is right. Or that it is true north. You see, the problem with our conscience is the problem with our conscience is something that's in your garden and my garden. You know what to do with it, but I very rarely do, to be honest. So I've had to borrow one actually, because it's not even in my garden. But the problem with our conscience is this: it's a wheelbarrow. You see, Billy Graham, that great uh, evangelist, he says your conscience is like a wheelbarrow. It goes in the direction that you push it. Doesn't it? So if this represents your conscience, then what often happens is this. Is that, say if it's the area of sexual temptation, okay? And we say, do you know what? It feels right. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just flirting. That's all I'm doing. Not doing anything wrong. I haven't crossed the line yet. And before we know where we are, we've pushed it in the direction that we want it to go. Am I right? And that's what we do. Because our conscience is like a wheelbarrow. It goes in the direction that we want it to do. So, you know, if you've got a, a, an issue or, or a difficulty maybe with alcohol, and what we'll do is we'll say, well, do you know what? I know I've got this, this issue with alcohol, but it's okay because I can control it. I'm control I'll only have one drink. That'll be okay. And so we have one drink. And or, or we say, well, I, I can go into that place and not have a drink, but we go into that place time after time, and eventually we do. Because what happens is our conscience is just like a wheelbarrow. It goes in the direction that we push it. 
So how do we ensure that our conscience is going in the right direction and our conscience is true enough? Our conscience is not enough on its own. Are you getting me on this? We need to add some other things into the wheelbarrow. Okay, and so one of the things we need to add into the wheelbarrow is values. Okay, so we need to add values. Those are those behavioral, those guides, those, those, those things that are really important to us. They, they, they shape our decisions. At the vision gatherings on the 7th, 8th and 9th of, of February, we're going to be talking about what are our values as a church. It's one of the things we're going to look at. There, there are four or so guiding values that are so important to us. Okay, we, and I think personally, you kind of think, what are your values? What would you not do? No matter what the pressure Okay, and you need to add that to the wheelbarrow of your conscience. You also need to add accountability. Because, because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. And one of the ways that God helps us to see ourselves is giving us a good mirror. And that's often other people. Someone once said this, People who sympathize with me may merely be affirming my weakness rather than giving me a model of victory. And, I, and this is so true. Many people will go and speak to everyone they can who tells them what they want to hear. But they'll never come to anyone that tells them what they don't want to hear. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll push your wheelbarrow off the edge of a cliff if you're not careful. People lose their marriage and their job and their family and their self-respect and their walk with God because they're not willing to have proper accountability in their life. I had a friend of mine recently that told me some things about my life. And I thought, oh, that's a bit sharp. And he was absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I know he loves me enough to tell me the truth. And I needed to hear it. We also need to add in the word of God, don't we? If you're a Christian this morning, if we're not adding in the word of God, how do we know our conscience is right according to him? It'll just be what feels right. And we know that that can be very misleading. We also need to add in the spirit of God. The Bible says the spirit of God is the spirit that leads us into all truth. So if you're going through temptation right now, if you're being tempted to push your wheelbarrow down a road that you know you don't want to go, that actually is against your deepest values, but it feels right and you're being tempted, what can you do? What can help your character strengthen and be formed through temptation? Let me just give you a process which is so important. Number one, be honest. Be honest. Character is what a man or a woman is in the dark. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. And be honest with someone else. Because the second thing is ask for help. You know, when we bring something into the light, the Bible says that when things are in the dark, then they can flourish and thrive. But when we bring it into the light, the, the power of that begins to go. It's a little bit like when you switch a light on in a room and all of a sudden you see the mess of the room. But now you see the mess of the room, you can do something about it because you've seen the mess of it. So you ask for help. So I want to encourage you folks to ask for help. And please don't be so proud. Because I, I want to suggest that often Christians can be prouder than people who aren't Christians when it comes to this area. Because we don't want to like be embarrassed or, or say something that makes other people think, and I thought you were a Christian. And so we'll hold on to it longer than other people out there will. Don't do that. Ask for help. Bring it into the light. You know, if, if, you're, if you've got your hands on the wheelbarrow and you're pushing it down a road, I want to ask you to ask where it will lead. Ask where it will lead. So this thing that you're doing that feels great at the moment and feels it's no big deal and I can control it, ask where it will lead. Ask where at the end of this road you want to be sat there when you have lost your, your wife and your family and you're seeing your kids every other weekend or whatever it is or you have lost your job or your self-respect. Ask where it will lead. If I carry on doing this, where might this road 
end up leading me to? Ask yourself, and then ask, is it worth it? Because if you can see where that might end you up, I want to suggest you're going to look at thinking it ain't worth it. For all that pain and grief at the end of this road is not worth this little bit of momentary pleasure or feel-good experience I'm going through. Remind yourself, fourthly, of your deepest values. I love the story of Daniel. Daniel and those guys that were taken out of Jerusalem and put in the court of the king in Babylon. And the Bible says in, in Daniel 1 verse 8, I think it is, they resolve not to defile themselves. They resolve. They said, these are our deepest values. We'll do this. We'll do that. We won't do that. Here and no further. We need people like that in the workplace, don't we? You resolve to honor your deepest values. And then can I say this to you? If you're, if you're facing temptation, seek the face of God. Now that sounds a strange one. This verse, I was looking at this verse recently in our week of prayer. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. You know the verse very well. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will what? Forgive their sin and heal their land. We know that verse. It's about prayer. It's about God doing something in the nation. But I saw something I've never seen before. God says, seek my face and... Turn from their wicked ways. Now, we tend to think, turn from your wicked ways, stop doing naughty stuff, and then seek the face of God. But God says, no, don't do that. Seek the face of God and turn from your wicked ways. Seeking the face of God is one of the antidotes to be given into temptation. But we tend to focus on the temptation and focus on the bad stuff or stop doing the bad stuff. Then we think we'll be clean enough and, and holy enough to turn and, and, and seek the face of God. God says it's the other way around. Because you come as you are, you bring your stuff with me, with you. You come as you are, but you fall in love with me. You fall in love with God. You seek the face of God. And as you do that, you're going to turn from your wicked ways. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And maybe this morning there are some of you and you're, you're into stuff or something's happening. And, and it may not be like, like, like sex stuff or porn or, or addiction or that. Maybe it's you just spend way too much money to feel better about stuff. Maybe, maybe you gossip way too much. Maybe there's some stuff going on and you know that that's your temptation. It pulls you away from your deepest values and, and, and you feel embarrassed almost or shameful to come to the face of God. Seek the face of God when you seek the face of God and when you fall in love with God, you can't help but bring that stuff into his presence. I, and what I love about this as well is that God invites me to look into his face. That's amazing, isn't it? What, in the ancient world, you know, the kings and rulers, they, you know, they, when they looked at you, you looked down. You didn't look at them or your head was cut off. And yet my God, with all my weakness and my sin and my junk, invites me to look into his face. And when I look into his face, I don't see a frowning headmaster character, but I see a smiling, open-eyed, glint-eyed, you know, kind of shiny-eyed God who loves me, who knows everything about me and who still wants me to seek his face. It's amazing. Seek the face of God. And then finally in this one, don't stay down too long. You know, you know, whatever your temptation is or whatever you're struggling with, you will fail and slip from time to time. Don't stay down too long. Failure isn't slipping. Failure is staying down too long. So don't stay down too long. So, so are you being tempted today? Are, are, are you maybe pushing the wheelbarrow of your conscience down a path that you know? is not where God wants you to go. It is not where you want to go, really, because at the end of that is a cliff, and you don't want to fall off that cliff. You don't want to be capsized at sea. Final area that Joseph was tempted, and then we'll, we'll bring it to land. He was tested and developed his character through how he handled power and success. 
This is interesting. Two phrases keep appearing in the story of Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, and secondly, and the Lord prospered Joseph. See, after the pit came the prison, but after the prison came the palace. After the dream came the, came the disappointment. After the disappointment came the delay. But after the delay came the day when the dream was realized. And there came a moment for Joseph when he came to where God said he would come. And he's the second most powerful man in the world. And his brothers come to him and they bow before him even though they didn't recognize him. And he thinks back th- 23 years or whatever it was. Um, 13 years to, to when he first gave that, that, that dream. And they took him and beat him. And, his, and now here it is. It's come to pass. He has all the power and he has all the success. Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to really test a man's character, give him power. And we've seen that on our TV screens and we're watching that right now, aren't we? What will really test a man's character is give him power. But you and I have power as well. You and I have power, even though you don't think you do. So what can help our character to strengthen and be formed through how we use power and success? Well, how did Joseph handle his power and success? Very quickly. Number one, he leveraged his power for the sake of others. What I love about it is when he came into, the, in, in, into uh, power, he said, you know, God's told me that there's going to be seven years of plenty. Like, well, it's just going to be plenty. Economic boom time. Pre-2008, it's going to be boom, okay? And, uh, and many people could say, in that seven hours, I'm going to cream it off for myself. I'm going to make the most I can. He didn't do that. He leveraged his power for the sake of others. He said, you know, in that seven years of plenty, we're going to store it up because there's some seven years of famine coming. And he leveraged his power and success for the sake of other people. That's brilliant. Secondly, he withheld his power so he could offer forgiveness to the people who'd hurt him the most. Can you imagine what it was like with all those brothers who'd beaten him and who'd kill, who thought he was dead, then sold him into slavery? They didn't recognize him because he was older now, because he had Egyptian makeup on. They didn't expect him to be there in, in, in the court of the king. And can you imagine that moment when they realized, flipping heck, or whatever they said in Hebrew, you know, it's Joseph. It's Joseph. Imagine. Power says he chops their head off. He withheld that and chose to put it aside so he could do this. Genesis 45 verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And he forgave them. You have power. You have the power to forgive someone who's hurt you. That's character. You have power to hold it over them. You have power to be bitter. You have power to stick the knife in. But you have power to forgive them. That builds character. And then he submits his power to a higher power. In, in Genesis 50, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 19 to 21. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. That's awesome, isn't it? That's character. Submitting your power to a higher power. Humility. Do you know we need people in our world who are humble, hungry, and smart. People who are humble, who know where power, true power really lies, and who are willing to submit their power to a higher power. I want to invite the band to come back. You know, it's your character that can capsize you, folks. And I know this is a hard message and and, I, and I've hit hard in some certain areas, and I know that. And I've done that because I love you. I've done that because I'm fed up of sitting in an office or in a home or in a coffee shop with someone watching a life kind of crumble 
before me. And I want to say, God, why did you get yourself here? And I don't do that out of any sense of pride or arrogance or superiority. I do that out of a sense of just deep grief in my heart to say, you've not invested under the waterline. Marriages, you've got to invest under the waterline, dealing with your stuff, getting some help, doing all that kind of stuff that you know. But in our personal lives as well, we've got to do that or we will end up capsized at sea. So I want to ask you to respond in a moment. And um, Mel, would you mind just moving out of the way? Thanks. Now, if, if your storm right now is adversity, okay? Maybe you're going through some tough times. And maybe what's happening is that your heart is, is weakened right now. Maybe what's happening is your courage or even your faith is being weakened. Maybe your grit is being weakened. So maybe you could give that to God and say, God, here's my heart. I'm going through tough times. Would you strengthen my heart? Maybe your storm is temptation. Could you, could you say to God, God, I'm being tempted here. I'm being tempted to push this wheelbarrow of my conscience down a road I don't really want to go. I'm being tempted to pull away from my deepest values. Could you say, God, here's my heart. It's a tempted heart. Here it is. Would you strengthen it? Would you strengthen it? Or, or maybe you're in a position where you have some power and some success. And maybe your deal is that you, you, don't, you don't want to use that over people. You want to use it for people. You want to use it in a way to honor God. Maybe say, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart. God, would you keep me humble? And would you give me the grace to use what I have for the sake of others and to bring honor and glory to you? So, so I, want to, I want to invite you. Maybe we stand. Let's stand, folks. Let's stand. I want to invite you in a moment to, to respond to God. And if nobody does, visibly, that's fine. But, but, I, but I, I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to say, here is my heart. We often say, here's my heart when we, when we say, God, we want to love you. But what about, here's my heart. I, I'm being battered by the waves right now. I'm in a storm, going through adversity. Here's my heart. God, would you just come and strengthen my heart? Or God, here's my heart. It's a tempted heart right now. God, would you come and would you, would you strengthen the resolve in me not to go down that road that will end up over the edge of that cliff? Oh God, here's my heart. I have some power and success. But God, would you keep this heart humble? Here's my heart. You see, God invites you to seek his face and then turn. Not to turn and then seek his face. He invites you to seek his face. He invites you to bring your heart to him as your heart is right now. And he will do the rest. So let's close our eyes for a moment. And I'm going to pray. And then as the guys begin to sing this song, Here's my heart, Lord. I want to invite any of you this morning. But if you want to respond to God, and we don't do this often these days because of time and space, but I've just felt it right to do it this morning. That I, I want to invite you to come and just to stand at the front here and then someone's going to just come and pray for you. And they're not going to ask you what it is that you come for, okay? Because that's between you and God. But they are going to ask that the Holy Spirit will strengthen your heart for whatever your heart needs right now. So Father, I want to pray this morning that God, that we will be honest and open Lord, before you and honest and open with ourselves. And God, we bring our heart to you. God, we do not want to be Michael Plants spiritually. We don't want to be those people that look like we've got it all together. But actually, 11 days out to sea, we are shipwrecked and lost. So God, would you invest again in the under the waterline issues? God, we, would you strengthen our character? Would you strengthen our heart, we pray? God, for those who are facing tough times, 
would you comfort and strengthen for those who have been tested and or those who have been tempted right now God would you would you encourage their resolve Lord Jesus for those who have some power God would they use it humbly and wisely for the sake of others and to bring honor and glory to you and so God here's our heart so Lord we want to respond we want to keep our hearts soft God our hearts stay soft by continually responding to you not getting hard or bitter so God here we are God, I pray that whichever of these is applicable to us, God, that we would respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if any of you want to come and just respond to God in these moments, then I want to invite you to do that as the guys begin.